You're listening to episode 21 of the Burnout to Boss podcast. Welcome to the Burnout to Boss podcast, where executive coach and yoga teacher Maria Loida teaches ambitious corporate women how to create massive success in their careers without sacrificing their families, personal lives, health, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to make more money, gain promotions and raises, build respect in the office, demand gravitas with senior clients and peers, and generate the biggest impact possible, all while enjoying the life you want and without overworking, it's time to rise from burnout to boss. The world is waiting for your leadership. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, executive coach and yoga teacher, Maria Loida, and today we're talking about creating value at work versus your value. This is an episode for you if it feels really scary to think about doing less at work or going about your work differently. This episode dives more into the psychology and mindset realms of my work and practice, and I will give lots of real-life examples too so you can really visualize the difference between these two ideas. Um, We're going to go ahead and jump right in. First, let me say there's a a big difference between creating value at work and your value. I even put work value lowercase and your value uppercase for a reason in the title. That was intentional. And I want you to know that. (laughs) First, let's talk about what each of these are separately. And then we'll talk about if you're mixing up the two, getting them a little bit confused. And of course, we're about solutions. I'm going to tell you what to do if you recognize yourself in in the camp of people that might be mixing up the two. So first, let's talk about creating value at work. This is showing up to work each day, consistency, understanding and meeting deadlines, doing the things you say you're going to do when you said you would do them, creating and setting expectations and then updating them if they change, taking action on your work responsibilities, creatively solving problems, using your industry knowledge to consult. (laughs) Basically, it's your job description plus the other things you learn at work that are valued. If that sounded like a job description that you applied for, there's a reason for that. It's shortly, it's the your list of stuff you do for work and doing it in a thoughtful way. It's it's really that simple. This is going to shift and be a little bit different depending on what industry you're in or what your exact job title is. But ultimately, I want you to start thinking about cre- the idea of creating value at work as your job description, and whether that's like exactly what's written in your job description, or you've been in your job for a couple of years and you've learned what's really valuable to your boss or your boss's boss or your manager in doing the job efficiently and well, or doing a specific thing for a specific client because they value that thing. I want you to start thinking about it as like your job, the things you do at work. Knowing that part of that is finding maybe more efficient ways to do something or more creative ways to do something or more strategic ways to do something. Let's now talk about your value with a capital V. And this is 
your value, when I say this, I'm talking about your value as a human. We're going to get really clear on why this distinction is important. Your value as a human is being alive, loving your loved ones, being kind to the people around you, being human and making mistakes, being uniquely yourself and letting other people see that out in the world, being part of the experiment of life, being a human on this planet, on earth, learning and experimenting. Your value is your joy and living out the things that you care about. Again, shortly, your value as a person has nothing to do with traditional accomplishments, being seen as perfect, being seen as the best or better than anyone else. And this is where I see, well, let me, this is where I saw myself get caught and like, make sure you be clear. This is, I have struggled with this idea. There was many, many, most, the majority of my life where I I did not have, I didn't know the difference between the two and I got them mixed up all the time. So if you're feeling like maybe you might be one of those people that, that mixes the two, don't feel alone. You are not alone. And this is where I see ambitious women get a little caught. You might be thinking, well, that all sounds really sweet and nice about my value as a human but my value doesn't make me any money and I can't pay the bills with that. You might be thinking like, this is true for artists, people like artists and Beyonce, but not me. And this thinking is rooted in believing that your value is a competition and something that you have to earn, that your value comes in exchange for something else, specifically something that you do. That if you just do the right things, you can have value. Somewhere along the way, we get confused and think that there's a way to be more lovable, more worthy or valued than we are right now by doing something or accomplishing something. And for women who want a career, often use their work as a way to try and get more of the love, of the worth, of the value. But it's just not true. The relationship between these two things are completely different. They are completely different things. And this makes a big difference in the way that you are in relationship with your work and in relationship with your everyday life, how you experience work and your life. And so here's where the two get mixed or here's kind of how to know if you're mixing up the two. These are kind of some signposts to know if this is you. You consider every single task a way to get it perfect and move up. There's no kind of difference between like a higher value task or like a lower value task. You're thinking about every opportunity to get ahead. You feel the need to nail it every single time or you kind of feel like you're failing You spend nights and weekends replaying work scenarios in your head that you don't feel good about, right? There's a lot of space in your head filled up with thinking about work, wondering if you made a mistake, wondering if you should have said something, done something different or better. You feel stressed about everything related to work. Maybe you're exhausted all the time. And after listening to that list, you can see that it sounds like someone in an intense competition, 
there's a difference between taking action at work in a thoughtful way and taking action as if you need to do it to save your life. When we get mixed up, work becomes life or death because knowing we are valuable and loved in this world is life or death to your nervous system. And it's also a signal to the way our brains have evolved. But you can be the very best at whatever you do, and you can work nonstop and work even harder than anyone else in your company or your industry. And it still won't make you more valuable, lovable, or worthy because those things are infinite and unconditional. You couldn't increase them with anything even if you tried. It's almost like they are already massive, meaning that you are massively loved, worthy, and valuable, and infinite. So you don't need to increase them because they are already at their very, very max. And I get that that concept right there is a little bit spiritual. Another way to say it is your work output won't be the thing that makes you feel more loved, worthy, or valuable. It might temporarily, but like only the way alcohol makes you temporarily drunk. It isn't lasting, and soon there will be another accomplishment you think you need to chase to get a little bit more value, to get a little bit more love, to get a little bit more worth. So what do you do? There's one piece of working on how your lovability, worthiness, and value comes from somewhere else. If you believe in a higher power, you can think of it coming from that place, or you can think about it coming from yourself. You can be the one in your life who loves you most and witnesses your worthiness and value. You can kind of begin thinking those things about yourself and building the belief that that's, that you decide that you're valuable. You decide that you are loved. You decide that you're worthy. And there's another way that I want to introduce to you today that might feel a little bit more practical or accessible. And it also doesn't contradict what I just shared. So you can do both. Right, You can start working on the belief that your your lovability, your value is like infinite. And there's like, it's already at its max. It's already overflowing over the edges. You don't need to do anything more. There's no work to be done to become more lovable or worthy or valuable. And you can consider this idea that I'm going to share with you. That is a, a yoga concept. And the idea of it is taking action without attachment. And like I said, this is a concept from yoga. It's something I learned a lot more about when I started studying yoga philosophy. So this is a very Eastern idea. It might feel a little distant because Eastern philosophy and the Eastern way of life is different than the Western way of life. I would be thrilled if there are people listening right now that grew up with an Eastern philosophy, uh, maybe grew up in India or Asia. Um, but I'm guessing that most people listening to this podcast grew up in the United States or North America or un- under an- the influence of a Western society or Western philosophy. And this idea isn't taught actually. I haven't seen it taught anywhere in the Western kind of way of life. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but I want to introduce you to it. It's this idea of taking action without attachment. And it's separating the action that you're taking toward an outcome, separating that action from the outcome. And that might be a little hard to visualize at first. Because when something's important to you, you're likely thinking about the importance level of the thing when you're doing it. For example, if I were going to ask you, do you feel different when you're sending an internal email to your work wife compared to sending an email to your boss or your client? It's likely that you feel different. When you're sending an email to your boss or your client, you're likely spending a lot more time evaluating how they're going to read it, making sure there's absolutely no typos. You might even be worried about how you're saying something or that it sounds smart enough, etc. Right? There's like a couple differences in here of you know, not all emails are are uh, sent equally. <laughs> but here's the thing. When you're thinking about the outcome, what you're not doing is you're not thinking about the action right in front of you. Consider an example of working on a presentation, but the whole time you're thinking about how if it's not awesome, your client will yell at you or your boss will be mad or that you don't have enough time and it's going to suck and be embarrassing. A second example, imagine you're working on a same the same kind of presentation, a high stakes presentation and fully focused in on the slide you're working on right now. Your attention is 100% on that thing. It's like turning off all the background noise. And then once that thing is complete, you go on to the next action, the next slide, say, or the next point that you're going to make in the presentation. And you, you're focused in 100% on that thing as you're making this presentation. Which do you think is going to get you the better result? Right? It's clear that the version where you're super focused on the one thing in front of you is going to create the the environment for you to do your best thinking. It's the same reason why surgeons aren't allowed to operate on blood relatives and sometimes even close friends because adding stress to a high pressure situation makes things harder for the one performing. It's more difficult to make a level-headed decision and more likely to make a frantic knee-jerk one that isn't as thought through when you are like, imagine a surgeon operating on, you know, her child. She is extremely invested in the child coming out of the surgery with a positive outcome. You would think that our, the Western way of thinking of it is like, yeah, you would want the mother to operate on her own child because she will care about everything the most, except this isn't how that this isn't this isn't the rule in like a medical situation. Surgeons don't perform surgery on their loved ones because imagine being the mother or, you know, you could if you're not a mom, I think it's imaginable. But if you're not a mom, you could consider like you're a surgeon and you're working on your mother or your best friend or your sister or brother sibling. Imagine being the surgeon working on something and the heart rate drops. That's going to affect you and on a deep level in a way that 
because of like the biological connection, because of the attachment you have to the person on the table, your heart rate's going to spike and you're going to go into like a, an adrenaline mode much more likely if it's like someone you love and deeply care about on the table compared to if if you're not kind of like you don't have your heartstrings attached to the person on the table and the the difference is so important because when you're attached you're you're much more likely to panic and this is a totally different example much much lower stakes but when you're in panic mode, this is, a, I'm going to tell a story and it's not, it's not a story about work, but it's, it's one of the times in my life that I really so clearly saw the influence of panic in a situation and how that clouded my judgment and my ability to make logical decisions. Here's what happened. I'm in college and... and I woke up and me and, and a bunch of my girlfriends needed to go somewhere that morning. We had like an appointment. I go outside. I don't see my car parked where it's usually parked on the street. And it's not parked in the little parking space behind the house. And because I couldn't, instead of pausing and wondering and, and giving myself a moment, a beat to be like, wait, where is my car? I panicked because I was tired and realistically I, I was hungover, but I panicked and the panic, it's like it put this veil over me that made me so urgent and so um, kind of freaked out that I immediately jumped to the conclusion that my car had been stolen, right? As I'm telling you this, I think we could probably agree that this sounds extremely illogical because like I didn't consider that the college town that I go to school in is pretty safe. The fact that I consistently lock my car, the fact that I had my keys with me, the fact that there was no broken glass on the street or back in the parking lot, the fact that no one would want to steal my car because it was a 1994 Chevy Beretta, which is, um, first off, super hot car. Just kidding. No one wants to steal this car, which is what the cops said. I got panicked so hard. I called the cops. I, the cops came out and then they started asking me all of these logical questions of like, well, I don't see any glass or like skid marks or any indication at all. There's no indication at all that someone took a car from this spot on the street or from behind the house also they had to break the news to me that a she 1994 chevy beretta that's like teal colored isn't really a, the type of car that anyone's looking to steal <laughs> if i would have taken 10 deep breaths and not immediately assumed that i had made some that some something horrible had happened I would have remembered that what actually happened is that I parked my car in a different spot and walked to the bars the night before and then walked home and woke up at my home and my car wasn't there because it was parked where I had actually left it the night before, like tons of people do in college. <laughs> 
But the panic and the attachment to probably the car put me in a position where I was, I was like completely illogical. A funny story now, I still get made fun of it, fun of for it from my family. But I wanted to give you that example of, of what panic can do sometimes to our hearts and our minds. And so coming back to this idea of action without attachment, I want to talk about something because language is super important in how we communicate things, right? Words have specific meaning and one word means one thing in a culture and sometimes it means something else in a different culture. And we are talking about two different Eastern Western philosophies right now. Being unattached isn't the same as not caring. Unattached as a word can be a little tricky, I've found, for Americans, Western people. Being unattached isn't the same as not caring. It can feel like that if you've learned to associate caring only with being stressed and worried, or even partially that you've associated caring a lot to worrying and like getting kind of fussed up and stressed about something, which a lot of us do. I had realized my pattern in doing that in my former career. I thought that if I was stressing and worried and kind of like frantic, that that was the way that I I only am this way because I care so much, right? We hear that a lot and that might sound familiar for you. But if you really care deeply, your focused attention on the thing in front of you without the background, without the background noise is how you will give your most thoughtful work. Right? When you care so much about something, it's because you want to do a good job. The thing that we miss is that giving your most thoughtful work or doing your best job is when you're like super focused and you cut out the noise and you're just tuned into what needs to be done and you're like available and open to creativity and all these things. Taking action in this way without attachment or separating creating value at work from your value it really allows you mostly to relax. We've been kind of taught that hustling and grinding harder is the only way to succeed. But when you're hustling and grinding really hard, you're also exhausted and worried usually. And when you're exhausted and worried, it's really hard to consistently make thoughtful decisions. Thoughtful decisions or taking action without attachment is where you access your best work that is creative, resourceful, savvy, smart. This is how you get promoted, make more money and have more time without the stress and exhaustion of burning out. This is what my clients and I do together every week is unwinding how we're attached to work and in what ways and what ways does it show up that we want to hold on and and make sure that it's going to be perfect by worrying. And my clients are getting promoted and making more money and getting time back without burning out. Go to my Instagram profile at Maria Rose Loida. Follow me and then send me a DM to set up a console call if you want to do it too. And especially if you feel manic or panicked about your daily tasks at work. Learning the skill of action without attachment will serve you so deeply all the way to the top. As far as you want to go. The stakes only really get higher. And so your ability to stand kind of firmly in knowing the difference between your value and how you create value in your workplace, in 
the industry that you're in and being able to detach yourself, like your personhood from the result that you're creating out in the world, in the, in the workforce is right. You have to get better and better at that as you move higher and higher up the ranks because the the stakes only get higher. Thank you for listening everyone today. I will see you on Instagram or back here for the next episode.